Well, good morning. I suspect we've probably all had a very similar experience where you've stood in front of one of those large mall maps and you've tried to use it to help you to get to where you're going. And if you've ever had that experience, you know that there's a couple of things that are necessary for that mall map to be helpful to you. The first thing is you have to be able to locate the store where you're going. I mean, if you can't find that store anywhere on the map, that map's not going to be very helpful to get to the store you want to get to. The second thing that you'll find is that not only do you need to know where the store is, but you need to be able to figure out where you are on the map. That's why a lot of maps are helpful and they have those stars that say you are here. And once you have those two fixed points of reference, you can from there, as long as you're relatively capable at finding your way around, you can get from where you are to the store that you want to go to. I think in a similar way, our lives need anchor points. They, they need these moments where, where we can figure out how to get from where we are to where we're going. Have, have you ever had an occasion where you just kind of woke up one day and you ask yourself, how did I get here? You, you look back at a previous self and you realize that that previous self said, we're going to go in this direction for life. And then one day you, you wake up and you realize, I'm off where I thought I should be. And then from there, you're going to want to figure out, how do I get back on track? You need an anchor point. You need something that you're going to head towards, something that you're going to live your life for. And interestingly, even though we need anchor points to help navigate us, there's a recognition that we live in a culture that says life has no anchor points. In fact, there's this understanding that, that life is like a blank map, and you get to make whatever destination you want up. You get to make up whatever points along the route that you want. Um, since I used to serve in youth ministry, I've been to more than my fair share of high school graduations. And I think that there's probably some company out there that writes every high school graduation speech because they're all the same thing. And it's this idea that you get a blank map and you can go wherever you want to go. You can do whatever you want to do. And, and that you have the freedom to fill out the map of life in any, any way that you want. And as you're listening to these, um, these lessons about life, you sometimes wonder, well, without a destination, how should I figure out where to go? The high school speech, graduation speech, will say, well, go wherever you want to go. You have complete autonomy, you have unlimited freedom to make this map and anything that you want to make it into. And then you might wonder, well, then how am I going to live a life with any sense of purpose or direction if, if there's no markings on the map? And to that, we're simply told, well, your future is limitless. Again, make it whatever you want. You might initially think, wow, what a gift it would be to given a map that has no anchor points on it. And then you realize how futile that life would be. That there's no checks or balances, nothing that you can look at to say, am I on the right track? I mean, how do I know what life is for? How do we, how do we know if we are on track? I think Christianity is, in many ways, it is the opposite of the blank map. Christianity is a rich and a detailed map that's, that's vivid with some very clear anchor points about what life is for, clear anchor points about where we are going, clear anchor points about what has happened in the past. And not only are we given that map, this is a map that's been used for thousands of years 
to help people navigate through the transitions of life. So every fifth Sunday, we said we're going to preach what we practice. And what I want to do this morning is I want to talk about one of these anchor points that we have in our lives and one of the anchor points that we have in our worship. We realize that um, there are several names for what we're going to discuss. The Lord's Supper, Communion, Thanksgiving Meal, the Table of the Lord, or Breaking of Bread. All of these things represent a, a time where we share in the Lord's Supper that is for us an anchor point both in our worship but also in our lives. And the most extensive text in the New Testament is 1 Corinthians 11, 17 through 34. And so that's where we want to spend our time this morning as we explore this topic of the Lord's Supper. And I think we can divide this passage up into kind of three main parts. It's like the acts of a play, and each of these connect and relate to the other. And so the very first section is Act 1. And Paul says why he does not commend them. It's very clear that Paul does not appreciate what they are doing and how they are practicing the Lord's Supper. And I think the best way to get a sense of what Paul, why Paul does not commend them is to look at some of these words that are used most frequently in this section. And the first grouping of words is the word either in your translation might say to assemble or to come together. See, we're going to discover that the Christians at Corinth have a habit of coming together. And when they come together, we recognize that they are coming together as a church. And when they're coming together as a church, that means that there's a very specific reason and a very specific purpose for which they all leave their homes to come together in a specific place. And the venue or the place is not important, but is the fact that these Christians have all decided collectively to come and to meet in this one place. So one of the keys to what it means to be a church and what it means to worship as a church means that you do it with other people you come together. Now somebody might say, but can't I worship on my own? And absolutely we recognize that all life is worship. But there is this, this clear sense in, uh, as Paul's addressing the church at Corinth, that church is a collection of people who come together for some specific purposes. Paul will have a couple of things that he will talk about that are appropriate to do by yourself that are not appropriate to do when you come together as a church. So one of those things Paul says, he says, if you are hungry, eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for your condemnation. He's saying if, if eating is about getting full, that's appropriate, it belongs at home, but when we come together as a church, there's different expectations. There's different behaviors. In fact, the meal is about something other than just simply getting full. Or Paul will later say, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind. In other words, Paul says that's an appropriate behavior that I can do at home. But when we are in church, there's a recognition that as we've come together, what Paul will do with tongues is different because he wants what is spoken to be words of intelligence. Church is a place where we come together for a specific purpose. And the Bible will guide how we act when we come together. And one of the specific reasons Paul says in this passage is as to why we come together revolves around this second kind of grouping of words, which is to eat. Uh, there's this recognition that they would say, out of verse 20, that they would say that they come together to eat the Lord's Supper. So we decide to leave our homes all come into one collective place. And what is a part of the reason or the purpose that we choose to come together? It is in order that we might eat 
and partake and share in the Lord's Supper together as a body. In this way, we find that sharing in the Lord's Supper is one of the central things, one of the most important things that we do as a church when we come together. And it's central and it's important because of what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 16. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a sharing in the blood of Christ? And the bread we break, is it not a sharing in the body of Christ? So Paul gives us this this image or this picture. If you imagine God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit all standing, holding hands in a collective circle. That Paul is saying when we share in the blood, when we share in the body, we have joined now in participating, in sharing, in communion with Jesus himself. Or maybe another image is of of a river that has a natural current. When you jump into that river, you're going to be swept into that current. Sharing in the body and in the blood of Christ is sharing in the current of who God is. And Paul will let us know that you cannot be in these two places together when he will say in 1 Corinthians 10, 21, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake in the table of the Lord and the table of demons. You cannot be sharing in union and fellowship with God and with anyone else. And then there's this third group of words that we find in this first section, which is words that talk about divisions. Paul says that they've come together to eat the Lord's Supper, but he says, what you guys are doing actually cannot be called by this name because of the way that you're doing it. And the thing that seems to disqualify why this cannot be the Lord's Supper is because of the divisions that are there. These divisions are different than what you'll find in 1 Corinthians uh, 1 verse 10, where it talks about some, some of the arguments that are happening between churches. This is divisions that happen within a church at this very particular moment where they share in the Lord's Supper. So I think that we get a sense of what Paul's talking about here when he says, For when the time comes to eat... Each of you goes ahead with your own supper, and one becomes drunk, one goes hungry, and another becomes drunk. What? Do you not have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you show contempt for the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What should I say to you? Should I commend you? In this matter, I do not commend you. So we have to put some pieces together. The Lord's Supper, of course, is taken here in the context of a full meal. And yet, as they're sharing, there's some some boundary markers, some divisions that are beginning to occur. And the divisions seem to be divided between those who have and those who do not have. So there's the haves and the have-nots. Paul says, do do you not have homes to eat in? Which some people would say, no, I don't have homes because some people in the church have nothing. And they have come together to eat. And yet, as they come together, some of the have-nots will go home hungry. The haves will get drunk. And Paul is, is, is showing the difference between the experience that people are having at the table. Some overindulging and some being completely left out. And Paul says when that happens, they are showing contempt for the church. And they are humiliating the have-nots. And really, I think what Paul is saying is, Paul is saying, because meals are a really important part of their culture. 
It is, at the, it is at the place of a meal that you can find out how important people think you are, whether you get an invitation, first of all, and then where you're asked to sit and what part of the meal that you're invited to be a part of. And it's a great way to see who's important and who's not important. And so Paul is standing back and he's looking at this meal and he's saying this meal that you're celebrating looks exactly like any other pagan or secular meal. That there's no difference because of the divisions between the haves and the have-nots. And for Paul, this brings, it, it, it devoids the Lord's Supper of everything. And Paul sees this as an especially egregious behavior. And so that leads to act two, what, what Paul will do to seek to address their behavior. And to do that, he's going to return to the source. He's going to take them back to the place where this table was initiated. And so Paul begins there by saying, For I received from the Lord what I also handed on to you. And this word received is used in a, in a very specific and narrow sense in the New Testament. Anything that is received is something that, that, that you have got that you must keep in its form and in its package. So Paul will use the word when he's talking about the good news in 1 Corinthians 5.1. The good news, he says, which, in turn, uh, which you in turn received. A couple verses later, he says, which I in turn had received. It's a fixed form that comes to him. Or in Galatians, he'll use this word. If anyone proclaims the gospel contrary to what you received. And he'll later say, because I did not receive it from a human source. This word received means a, 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 a chain of, of relationship between things. It's almost like a chain of custody. That, that what is received must be kept and continued in the way that it has been received. Anything that is received, we do not have creativity to say, I would like it to look like this, or I would like it to become like this. What we do is we try to imitate as best as we can the very thing that we have received. And so Paul will tell us what we have received. For I received from the Lord what I also handed on to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took a loaf of bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body that is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way he took the cup also, after the supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The Lord's Supper is going to give us some fixed anchor points for worship, and it's going to give us some fixed anchor points for life. And the first anchor point is one that happened in the past. We look back at the Lord's Supper, and there's these two specific elements of what we remember when we look back. We remember the bread that represents the body of Christ. And then Paul will add a small statement, but important, the body that is for you. We recognize that on the cross, Christ gave his body, but not because of something that he wanted, not because of something that he desired, but he did it for our sake. He did it for you. The thing that motivated Christ was selflessness. Christ gave up what he had for the sake of others. It is the ultimate selfless act that Christ would give himself for our sake. As Paul says in Romans chapter 5, verses 7 and 8, Indeed, rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person, someone might actually dare to die. But God proves his love for us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The body given for you. 
And then Paul will talk about the cup, the cup that is the new covenant in Jesus' blood. So the blood that Christ sheds on the cross, it initiates a new covenant with humanity, and Christ finds himself at the, in the middle of this covenant. And so anybody who's living a life that is better than what they deserve, they recognize it's because they are in a covenant relationship created by Jesus Christ. And so if you ask, how is it that you have this relationship with Christ? The only appropriate answer is on the basis of his blood. On the basis of what he has given and sacrificed. And so we recognize as Christians to understand who we are, we have to look at the anchor point in the past of what Christ has done for us. But there's also an anchor point that Paul will recognize that is something in the future. An anchor point of something that is to come. Because Paul says at the Lord's Supper, we also look ahead. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The very act of eating and the act of drinking is saying, I believe that the world is heading towards a certain end and a certain destination that will happen when Christ comes again. We have the fixed boundary points of life, and by eating and drinking, everyone who eats and drinks says, I proclaim this to be true, that Christ is indeed coming back. And all the things the Scripture says will happen when Christ comes back, those things are true by the act of sharing in the bread and sharing in the cup. And then Paul will move to Act 3, which he's saying there are some implications some things we need to learn about the fact that this is what Christ did around the table. And so he tells them, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be answerable for the body and the blood of the Lord. What would an unworthy manner look like? The, the unworthy manner is not a, a, a cognitive activity. It's, it's an unworthy thing that they are doing. And I think that Paul is saying, when you look at the story of Christ, and you look at those anchor points, you're going to have to ask yourself, are we living aligned with those anchor points? Are, are, are we living in such a way that Christ would be honored by the way that we are living? Because if this is a meal to, to honor and to commemorate Christ, and yet we're doing it in a way that dishonors Him, Paul would say that's not aligned to the anchor points that we have. I think it would be like being asked to organize a funeral for Mother Teresa. And you say there's going to be more people than we can get. And how do we decide who gets to come and who doesn't? You say, you know what we'll do? We're going to sell tickets for $10,000. Whoever can buy a ticket can come and honor Mother Teresa's life. And if anybody knows Mother Teresa, what would she say about that idea? That's a terrible idea. I don't want the people to have money to be only ones who can come to my funeral. And in a very similar way, what Paul is saying is he's saying it is unworthy to remember the selfless act of Jesus Christ on the cross and to do it in a selfish way. Or to do it in a way that says we have the haves and we have the have-nots in a way that creates division. That Christ is dishonored if we remember in that unworthy manner. And so Paul's prescription is this. Examine yourselves and only then eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For all who eat and drink without discerning the body, eat and drink judgment on themselves. And again, as we examine ourselves, we're not just taking cognitive inventory. Paul is asking them to look at these anchor points of how Christ lived his, how Christ died on the cross, that Christ is coming again, and he's asking us, are we living in light of the truth that we find in the map of Jesus' own life? Are we being self-giving? Are we faithful 
to the covenant? Are we living as people who are anticipating the coming again of Jesus? And Paul says that we are to discern the body. And there are two um, options, and I think both of these are mutually inclusive of each other. When he tells us to discern the body, there are two things that we are discerning. Number one is the actual body of Christ that was broken and given on the cross. But the other thing that we are to discern is the church. The problem in Corinth was that they did not recognize that every time that you think about the body of Christ, you need to think about the body of Christ in terms of the church. And they thought, well, we can create these factions and these fissions and that not be an issue. But every time you look up, Christ is going to say, look out and recognize what's happening in the midst of the life of the body of believers. When we share in the Lord's Supper, we are sharing in the blood and body of Christ. Now Paul helps us to realize when we share in the Lord's Supper, we are also sharing with one another. There is a, there is a communal aspect to our coming together. I didn't realize until this week, I mean, I know that uh, there was a time where churches of Christ all drank out of one cup and then um, it, it came to a point in time where it, people started drinking in different cups, but I didn't realize why. Uh, transition happened in the early 1900s, uh, and the primary reason was that at that time, one in seven people were dying of uh, tuberculosis or consumption. And people said, I don't want to share in that bacteria. I don't want to share in that virus, so I'm not drinking out of the same cup. So then they started to go to these very individual cups. But that sharing is a recognition that what gets passed around in terms of a virus is something that we all partake in. And Paul is saying, in a metaphorical sense, that's what happens when I take of the cup. Not only am I joined in union to Christ himself, but we are connected to one another. And so I cannot take the communion without discerning what is happening in the lives of others. So Paul will give his conclusion to the church in Corinth. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If you are hungry, eat at home, so that you, when you come together, it will not be for your condemnation. In other words, if, if you are not behaving in an honorable way in the partaking of the Lord's Supper, how can you say this is something that would honor Christ? And so this is Paul's instruction for them, and I wonder what might Paul's instruction for us be, especially because we don't eat this in the context of a meal. Um, I agree with what Patrick Mead says. He says, this is not the Lord's Supper. It's the Lord's holy insufficient snack. Um, none of us are going to get filled from the little piece of bread, and none of us are going to get drunk from the little bit of, uh, of, of juice that we partake in. And so what is Paul's message or instruction for us? I, th I, I appreciate what Thomas Schreiner says. He says, the Lord's Supper is a way for them to understand who they are, what has happened to them, where they are going, and how they must behave. The Lord's Supper is an anchor point for us that helps us to look to Christ and to look to our own lives. Some people will suggest that at the Lord's Supper, the best thing you can do is you can block out any other thoughts of anything or anyone other than Christ on the cross. And I would encourage you to consider perhaps inverting that and to recognize that maybe all of the worries and all of the concerns and all the relationships that you have need to be brought into the relationship of the cross. Like what happens when in, in the point of sharing in the blood and, and, and in the point of sharing in the body of Christ, you think about that kid at school who everybody bullies. Do you say, oh, wait, 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 I got to think, think about Jesus, not think about people who 
are being bullied. And yet I think by thinking about Jesus, we might be made aware of people who are being mistreated around us. And by a person who takes of the Lord's Supper, it means I am being called to be a certain kind of person. I'm being called to act in a certain kind of a way. And if I'm going to celebrate this Jesus who gave himself selflessly, then I need to ask if I am willing to be a person who will give myself selflessly. What happens when you, in the process of partaking of the body and the blood, you think about that sickness or that disease that's ravaging your body, and you say, I'm going to try to push it out. But what if you just brought that in? You say, what does the reality of Christ coming again have to say about this sickness, about this disease? And by bringing Christ into it, you begin to recognize an anchor point, a healing point that comes. See, what we're trying to do as we take the Lord's Supper is to locate ourselves within these anchor points and to recognize that Christ is calling us to a certain kind of way of living. I think these are questions that we should be asking ourselves when we, uh, we reflect back and then when we begin to look forward, which is, where am I and where are we? I mean, we we recognize that if we are sharing in this supper, it's because we claim to be a certain kind of a people. So am I that kind of a person that I claim to be? We claim to be a part of a certain kind of a community, and are we a certain kind of that community? The cross has ethical demands of us, implications for us. And the Lord's Supper is a reminder, a call to say, are we aligned within these anchor points? How did I get here? How did we get here? For some of you, your life might be going really, really well and say, how I got here? I got here by my, my hard work. I got here by my effort. I got here by my superiority. And when you take the Lord's Supper, it's a no, 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 no. I got here because the blood of Christ created a new covenant with me. That's how I got here. And other of us, we might say, man, my life is a mess. How did I get here? And you recognize that God gives us hope, a way to get back on track. The Lord's Supper is an invitation to realign our lives. It's like a compass that can direct us to where we need to go. And we ask, where am I going and where are we going? Are we heading in the direction that recognizes He is coming again? Are we proclaiming His death once again? We live in a world that gives us empty maps and says, make of it what you will. And yet God calls us every week to a table. And a table that has anchor points that says your life has meaning and purpose, not in you, but in Christ and his sacrifice. And it is a call to make sure that we are living according to that map because we can look back to an anchor point. We can look ahead to an anchor point. And we can even look in the mirror and ask, are we living in light of a way that would honor Christ who gave himself for us? So may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn towards you and give you peace. And may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. In just a couple of moments, we're going to partake of the Lord's Supper. Um, if you have children, you will want to go pick them up during this next song. Um, also, as we sing our final song near the end, maybe our elder on call can um, remember to mention that. Um, but if you need something later in the service, you just ha you'll have an opportunity to come back if you need anything. But at this time, we're going to stand and sing this song together. <laughs>